Amen. Good morning, everyone. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Go ahead and don't lock your knees. Get comfortable. If you need a brace on the chair in front of you, go right ahead. Because we've got a long, we got a long one today. Are you ready to get into God's Word? All of chapter 8 in the book of Acts. Here we go. Good story, though. Starts off with verse 1. This is God's word to us this morning. And Saul approved of their killing him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he, had, what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city." Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John pl- <clears throat> excuse me, placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your hearts. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After this, they further, after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an official, an important official, in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. 
This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him, the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus, and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Father God, may you honor the reading of your word today with hearing, with understanding, Lord, with the work of your Holy Spirit to bring the, the, the message you have for each of us to bear in our hearts and on our minds. Lord God, I ask for the work of your Spirit for each person in this room gathered in these moments, those who are watching online now or at a later date as well. You know every story, every name, every situation, every backstory. Sin, scar, secret, and shame. Lord, I pray that you will speak. And as you speak, your spirit will work to bring us the message of your love, your forgiveness, your goodness to us, Father God. As always, I ask for my words not to get in the way of your word, but for you to speak, to work, to bring glory to yourself as Jesus is lifted up. And it's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, your Son, O oh Father God, that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And just a quick uh, hello and a uh, special welcome to those who are our guests this morning. We're so glad that you're here. Very honored that you are with us. Uh, if during the service, at some point, you would take a connection card. You could do that either the paper version or the online version and fill that out. We'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, if you do the paper version, you can take that to the Welcome Center after the service, and we've got some more information and a gift for you and things like that. I also want to say a very special welcome to those who are joining with us online today. We're so glad that you are a part of the Oak Park family. Remember, you can participate in today's service by texting in comments, questions, prayer praises, or prayer requests to 805-481-7092. And I want to give a very special welcome to the Atta family uh, who has left us to relocate uh, to San Jose for employment. And speaking of that, today is Augie's birthday so we're going to say hi, happy birthday, Augie. There you go. And we're also going to pray for him because uh, Faustina's already started her job, but he starts his new job tomorrow. So let's just do a quick prayer for that. Father God, I thank you so much for blessing the Atta family with employment, uh, even though it's not here with us. And Lord, we, we, uh, we mourn over that. 
But Lord, we're so thankful for your provision to them. Lord, I pray for Faustina as she adjusts to her new job. Pray that that will go smoothly. But Lord, as Augie starts his new employment tomorrow, I pray for an ease of transition. And I pray for just an abundance of blessings uh, with that new job for him. Lord, thank you so much for the whole, for the whole family, their faith, their love for you, their work for you in the kingdom here and around the world. And we're grateful for them. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Miss you guys. Take care. We'll see you again real soon. All right, let's get into our text today. Here's the setup. We've already looked at these uh, first few chapters of the book of Acts, and this is the very first Christians. This is the, the debut of the church of Jesus Christ. And as people were coming to faith in Jesus, they were assembling as communities, the larger communities known as the church, but smaller communities that met in homes. And those very first Christians were so overwhelmed with the message of God's love, God's forgiveness, and God's goodness, his provision of a Savior in Jesus, that their daily lives were absolutely transformed. The first Christians built a community that grew quickly and exponentially. The growth was was astounding going from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000, then to just multitudes. And the estimates are that within the, first, within the first year or so, the church in Jerusalem numbered about 20,000 people out of a city of about 100,000. Pretty amazing. The first church was marked by a deep unity and harmony The love just overflowed. People took care of one another. They practiced incredible generosity. The selling of property to give, to to, to make sure that the poor were taken care of. The summary statement is that there were no needy persons among them in terms of food and shelter and clothing. Their daily lives were centered around the core four, as I call it the apostles' teaching, fellowshipping with one another. The breaking of bread, which refers to both a meal and having communion amidst that meal, honoring Jesus for his sacrifice and praying for one another. In spite of all these many victories and how amazing things were going, this new church faced many challenges, as the people of God always do. Externally, the Jewish religious authorities had imprisoned, interrogated, and beaten the apostles and ordered them to stop speaking the name of Jesus. Stop saying that name. They refused. They kept telling people about Jesus day to day, in the temple, house to house. They could not help but talk about what they saw, what they heard, what they felt, what they experienced. They had seen Jesus die. They had seen Jesus alive after death. That will take away all fear, all doubt, all uncomfortableness about bringing up religion to anybody when you see somebody come back from the dead. That's what the apostles did. We have seen Jesus alive. He lives. But they faced some problems internally as well. Paraphrasing the scriptures when Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. A paraphrase of that is, where two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, there will be disagreement. 
and differences of opinion. But the church faced some things internally as well. We covered the story of Ananias and Sapphira, a couple who had pretentiously sold a piece of property and then said that the amount they sold the property for was different than what they had actually sold it for, and they had kept some back for themselves. And it was not the keeping back that was the issue. It was the public declaration of a false amount. God dealt with that very quickly by killing them. Swift justice. Questions about that? Go back to the sermon from a few weeks ago. I covered that there. God does not seem to do that anymore. Just when you tithe, be honest about it, okay? So God had dealt with that issue very quickly right at the beginning. But the church had also just felt they had, had experienced some logistic problems. Anytime you grow that exponentially quickly, there are going to be things of miscommunication and oversight. And, and there was evidently a group of, of Jewish uh, widows, predominantly women, who were actually they were, they were Jewish, but they actually spoke Greek. They had most likely grown up in other parts of the empire and then relocated to Jerusalem. And because the original Christians were Jewish, Jewish Jews, they were Hebrew-speaking Jews, there was a little bit of a, a language barrier and a cultural barrier. And some of the widows had gotten overlooked. And word got to the apostles, and the apostles says, we cannot take care of all this on ourselves. We're going to select and commission seven men to oversee the ministry to those widows. The seven men were Hellenistic Jews themselves. They were also Greek speakers but they were not just selected to deliver food. They were selected because of they, they were full of the Spirit. They were full of wisdom. They were men of great character, and they were men that God used. They were empowered to preach and also given the ability to perform miracles just like the apostles. One of those men was a man named Stephen. He would go and teach other Hellenistic Jews about Jesus was the Messiah, and evidently, he was not only articulate and persuasive in his language, he was also very stubborn when he was empowered by the Spirit. And they could not refute him. They could not contradict his arguments, his reasoning from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. And so, of course, when you can't, when you can't intellectually or evidentially refute someone, what do you do? You play dirty. You accuse them. Uh, of a crime, you you insult you 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 attack their their character, whatever it may be, and that's what his enemies did. They falsely accused him of the sin of blasphemy. He was brought before the Jewish ruling body, the Sanhedrin. He was found guilty of blasphemy, and he was executed. He was charged with the very same crime as Jesus. And in those moments of his death, he echoed the very words of Jesus. Father, do not hold this sin against them. Jesus, into your hands I commend my spirit. He echoed Jesus upon his death. And after a couple of years of this harmony, this growth, this unity of the church existing with relative, relative peace, now it was opposition. Now it was persecution. 
the full rage of the, those elements of the Jewish ruling uh, religious leaders was now unleashed against the church. You see, the, the, the reason they were so upset is that in order for Jesus to be the Messiah, he had to die for sins. And if he was to die for sins, somebody had to sentence him to death. And the Jewish religious leaders were the ones who were held accountable for sentencing him to death. The apostles were very clear about that. You are the ones who put him to death. You killed him. And they were very offended at being blamed for his death. Their animosity had been building for a couple of years, and now their animosity was, was released they were able to begin harassing and rounding up and arresting Christians. And their enforcer was a young man named Saul. Saul was a fellow Hellenistic Jew. He was raised outside the empire, at least in the early years, but he had spent many years in Jerusalem. He was from Tarsus, which is a city, still exists today, uh, basically south-central Turkey. He was a student of the, re the revered Rabbi Gamaliel. And if you remember the story of Gamaliel is when, when the, the apostles were first brought in, it was Gamaliel who was so reasoned and so wise and says, these guys are not worth getting worked up over. If this is of God, we're not going to stop it. But if... If it's just a cult of personality, if it's just a myth, if it's just a story, if it's just a legend, then it will die out because they always die out. And that was Gamaliel's challenge to the Jewish religious leaders. It's, this is either going to be nothing or it's everything. And if it's everything, we ain't going to stop it. See, that's a very wise reasonable approach. That, that's a man who's, who's lived a lot of years and realized that you let the, the, the small stuff be the small stuff, right? That there are certain things worth worrying about and there are other things that are not worth worrying about. Gamaliel was a wise, was a wise, reasonable person. His student, Saul, was not. He was young. He was ambitious. He was hot-headed. He was devout. He was focused. And he was full of rage at the heretics. The, the ones who had perverted the, the beautiful Jewish religious system. The ones who were now espousing that this Jesus, a common man, a criminal, one who had been executed by the Roman government, that he was the Messiah, may it never be. So Paul was full of passion and pent-up anger at these who had, who had rejected what he considered to be God's revealed truth. And he went full bore on persecuting the church. The word that Luke uses here in the book of Acts is he sought to destroy the church. The word destroy in, in the original language is actually, it's a very picturesque word. It's the word that they used to describe wild animals tearing apart their prey. 
If you ever watched Nat Geo, you understand what that looks like. That's the word. That's what Saul was doing to the church, going from home to home, beating people, arresting people, both men and women, rounding them up, incarcerating them, bringing the charges of blasphemy against them so that they too would be put to death. In the description here, Luke is rather tempered. You see, a couple of decades after this, Luke and Saul, who we now know by Paul, were dear friends. They were fellow workers. They were fellow preachers together. They traveled, they traveled throughout the Roman Empire together, establishing churches and telling people about Jesus. And Luke just can't throw his beloved friend and brother in Christ completely under the bus in this description. So he tempers his language. But Paul outs himself later in his description of the vitriol he had against the first Christians, of how his treacherousness against them was so horrific how he voted to execute believers in Jesus. And we get the sense that even though Paul had come to faith in Jesus and received the forgiveness of Jesus, was commissioned by Jesus to preach, to plant churches, and to stand strong and and to bear witness to him, he still held on to some of that guilt of what he had done. It's likely that this persecution was primarily directed at the Hellenistic Christians. We see later in Acts that the, that the apostles stayed behind and that the church in Jerusalem still evidently was pretty large of Jewish Christians. So it was most likely the Hellenistic Christians that scattered, fleeing to other parts of the empire. And while that, pro- that persecution was severe and horrifying, The persecution activated the next phase of the Great Commission. Jesus told the apostles, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He had told the apostles and other disciples gathered to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That is the mission, the great commission for every believer in Jesus. And after two years of getting the church in Jerusalem established, it was time to activate phase two. Jerusalem to Judea, kind of the same area, but Samaria, ooh, that's a big step. Now comes in, Philip. Philip was one of those seven men selected and commissioned to wait tables, but also to preach and to perform miracles. We don't know a whole lot about him. This is his, this is his time in the sun in the scriptures. This is it. About half of one chapter in the Bible. We know that he had a Hellenistic name, so he was most likely a Hellenistic Jew. We know he was full of the spirit and wisdom. We know that later on, his, he, he became known as Philip the Evangelist. That was his reputation. We know that he had four unmarried daughters 
who prophesied, who preached about Jesus. We know he eventually settled in the city of Caesarea and had a long ministry there. Philip leaves Jerusalem during the persecution and goes to an unnamed city in Samaria. This is big because Samaritans and Jews hated each other. Religious disagreement, racial animosity. In many ways, they were blood enemies, even though they had shared blood. The Samaritans were the descendants of the Jews of the the tribes of northern Israel who had been left behind during one of the conquests, the conquests from the Assyrians. As the Assyrians came in and completely overtook the northern kingdom and and carried off into exile the, the best and the brightest, the young and the able, they left behind the rabble, so to speak. The weak, the poor, the too young, things like that. And then as as the Assyrians did is they would take others from areas they had conquered and they would relocate them to uproot them, to disorient them and to be able to maintain better control. And so they repopulated the the kingdom of of Israel, the northern kingdoms. They repopulated with with people from all over their empire. And the remaining Jews eventually intermarried and had children with those people. And the Samaritans were the descendants. So they were considered half-bloods. They were considered half-breeds. They still worshipped Yahweh, but they only accepted the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They didn't accept the prophets. They didn't accept that Jerusalem was the center of the worship of Yahweh. They had their own mountain and their own temple. So there was religious division. There was racial animosity. We see some of that in, in, in the Gospels and the ministry of Jesus. Samaritans were so despised, except in the ministry of Jesus. He went through Samaria. He preached to Samaritans. In one of his greatest stories told, the hero is a Samaritan, which would be unthinkable to any Jewish ears. So Jesus paved the way. This is where Philip goes. Philip goes and he preaches. He teaches about Jesus. And as he preaches, he's able to heal. And this is so significant because now the gospel is finally being not only preached, but accepted by those who weren't Jews. Samaritans were considered Gentiles in the Jewish mindset. The Great Commission was finally happening. Now, there's two unusual stories that that Luke talks about here in Philip's ministry. The first is that a a sorcerer, a magician, a worker of magic named Simon came to faith in Jesus. Simon the sorcerer, or sometimes called Simon Magus, Simon the magician. Here's the deal. He worked legitimate miracles. It wasn't just sleight of hand, It wasn't just illusion. He actually worked miracles, and he did have evidently a long career. He convinced a lot of people. But when he saw the miracles of Philip, he said, that's a different level. That's real. What I do is not that. You see, the, the, the sorcerers and the magicians, those who do the practitioners of the dark arts, there's real power there. 
It is real. It is authentic. It is also evil and dangerous. The, the, the injunctions in Scripture against the dark arts is not because, oh, they're, they're just false. It's because they're real and they're dangerous. That's why there's prohibitions against them. So Simon was a practitioner of these dark arts, but he heard about Jesus. He saw the power that the name of Jesus truly had, and he was attracted. He was, he was open to following Jesus. He was truly amazed. I just want to do a real quick thing here, because in the, in the text it said <clears throat> that the, the, the believers there in Samaria, they had been baptized, but they had not received the Holy Spirit. This freaks a lot of people out. And it's always a big controversy for, for theologians and stuff. But the reality is this. They had not received the, the Holy Spirit in the way to work miracles. You see, the apostles had to come and do that to lay on hands so that not only the Spirit could be given, but that the apostles themselves could be shown that the kingdom was now about full inclusion of those who were not Jewish. That's the most amazing thing. We're promised in Scripture that whenever we believe in Jesus and we turn our life over to Jesus and we confess faith in Jesus and we are baptized into Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit as a gift, as a seal of God's promise and God's presence but there's also a giving of the gifts of the Spirit that go beyond just the, 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 the work of the Spirit within us. There's that work of the Spirit that is more visible, more expressive. Yes, the sign gifts, the miraculous gifts that we read about in the Scriptures. That's what Simon saw. He saw, all of a sudden, he saw, he saw fellow Samaritans able to, to heal and, and do miracles. And he was so overwhelmed and so amazed. He wanted it for himself. He probably was not familiar with the story of Ananias and Sapphira. <clears throat> so his impudence to Peter, Peter held great restraint. Peter did not strike him dead as he, may, he maybe he could have. Instead, Peter challenges him to repentance. Peter was able to see into Simon's heart. Yes, he believed in Jesus and he was baptized, but his heart was not aligned. It had not been transformed. And the antidote for that is always repentance. So weird story. And unfortunately, Luke just kind of leaves it at that. We don't know what happens. Oh, there's some weird stuff in church history about what happened to Simon. I'm going to leave that dangling there for you to think about later this week and to look up online for yourself. Now, weird stuff. He hooks up with a prostitute. They go to, they go to Rome. All sorts of weird stuff. Anyway, just, le just, just legend or, or story. But the second story is this. An another example of the providence of God and the plan of God being worked out for non-Jews, for Gentiles to become believers in Jesus. 
Philip is directed by an angel of the Lord to a road south of Jerusalem to intercept an Ethiopian pilgrim to Jerusalem. This Ethiopian was a Gentile, but he was also a God-fearer. He was one who believed in Yahweh and worshipped Yahweh, but he could not become a full convert to Judaism because he was a eunuch. I'm not going to explain what that is. Look it up. And in this providential move of God, this Ethiopian gentleman is reading a passage from the prophet Isaiah. He's reading Isaiah 53, which is the most clear and most powerful explanation or expression about the Messiah being the suffering servant, the one who was, who was crushed for our iniquities and who was rejected. And in that moment... This man had gone to, to, had gone to the temple to worship. He was now going back home and he is contemplating the things that he ex- had experienced as a part of his faith. And he comes to this one passage of scripture that is so clear in the Old Testament how it relates to Jesus. And that just happens to be the passage he's reading and he does not understand it. And you can picture in your mind's eye just a little bit of that, that discussion. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I unless someone explains it to me? And Philip says, this is your lucky day. I can. Not that there's luck, there's providence uh, in, in the scriptures. And so he tells this Ethiopian about Jesus. This Ethiopian is so overwhelmed because here's, here's what this means behind the curtain. You see, as, as he would go to Jerusalem to worship, he could not go into the temple because he was a eunuch. They were not allowed in. So he could go to the temple, but he could not go in the temple. But that was still the extent of his faith was to go and to worship, to worship his God, but to be kept at an arm's distance, to be kept just outside. But in Jesus, but in Jesus, he could be fully included. And did you, did you catch note that the first thing he wants to do after hearing about Jesus, he wants to get baptized. Because evidently Philip says, you're going to believe in Jesus, and you come to Jesus, you get baptized. That's the first thing you do. And he says, there's water. I want to get baptized right now. Because that symbolizes not only obedience to the gospel about Jesus, and it symbolizes union with Christ, what it also symbolizes is that it is full acceptance in the plan of God, the love of God, the gospel. He is included. He is not a second-class citizen. He is not ostracized. He is not kept at arm's length. He is a full-fledged brother in Christ. It's beautiful. It's powerful. It's overwhelming to think about. He wanted to be baptized immediately because he understood what the gospel truly meant. Because Jesus is the Messiah, because Jesus is creating something new, because Jesus is the one who truly forgives, he wanted all of that, and he embraced it fully. Well, it's time I've got to wrap up. So just some application questions. First off, 
How do you respond to criticism about your faith? Or if you have not yet received criticism about your faith, how will you respond? And if you have not yet been challenged on your faith or received criticism, now is the time to prepare, to get ready for how you're going to answer, how you're going to defend yourself, so you can respond, not react. So how do you respond? Number two, do you believe in Jesus, but you have not yet been baptized? Stop delaying. What are you waiting for? You're not going to get any more perfect. In fact, you're going to get more imperfect. So get her done. Get baptized. Experience that. It obeys Scripture. It conveys the, the, the blessings, the benefits of God upon you. So stop delaying. Get it done. I was hoping the lake would be full. We could walk outside and I could throw a few of you under the water today, but... The rain stopped, unfortunately. But that one up there is still good to go. So if you need to get baptized, put that on your connection card. Yeah, it's time. Number three, do you believe and have been baptized, but your heart is still struggling with selfishness or some misplaced desires? And I'm not saying the full extent, like Simon, that everything seemed to be kind of just a charade or false that, that his, his profession of faith and his baptism was. But if you were like most of us, even after believing in Jesus and even after being baptized, there are still going to be seasons or times of struggle and doubt and questioning. The antidote is the very same issued to Simon. Repent. That's the beauty of repentance, is Jesus continually calls us to that. When we fall, when we stumble, when we struggle, whether it's willful or circumstantial, we can always repent and return to the grace and the goodness of God. Question number four. How ready are you to explain your faith? If a coworker just happens to mention, you know, I was either reading something or I saw a movie and that got me thinking about God, would you be able to take that cue like Philip and the Ethiopian? And you can say, hey, this is your lucky day. I can help you with that. Are you ready to explain your faith? about who Jesus is and why you believe and what he has done for you. Now is the time to get ready. I'd like to have uh, Tay and the team come back up as we prepare for a time of communion. If everybody else would please uh, stand as we get ready to share in communion together as well. Communion is how we respond to the message of Jesus, the preaching of the word. We bring everything back to what Jesus did for us. He died on a cross for our sins. He rose from the dead. And as the, the sacrifice for our sins were cleansed, as the victor over death, he is Lord, and we submit our allegiance to him.